0: Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive
1: interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash.
0: Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 71 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sam Marks. Yo, Johnny. Hey,
1: how do I sound, by the way? I got a I got a new microphone I'm working. I've dumped those uh, ATR2005s
0: and upgraded. Oh, I don't know if it's an upgrade, but you sound okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's about three times the size of the other ones, but uh, hopefully more durable. Well, Johnny, dude, I think this is going to be a cool episode because I heard – Someone, maybe yourself, on the last episode, or from someone else that you just got into the crypto game.
0: Oh, oh, little birds be singing. So maybe we'll we'll definitely talk about that on the uh, on the outro on on what we're both going to do. But I think it's impossible for us to ignore cryptocurrencies on Invest Like a Boss. It's it's one of those things where I think the reason why we didn't jump on it sooner and talk, you know, have all the episodes about it is because. It's such a kind of a risky type of investment and it's not, you know, the traditional t- – definitely you wouldn't read about this on like boggle heads forms, you know. And But it's an alternative investment class and it's not going anywhere. So we might as well educate ourselves on it. I would say 8 of the 10
1: requests for new episodes that I see between the emails that we get, the Boss Lounge, some other places. I would say 8 of 10 are on cryptocurrencies. And one of our best performing episodes with Chris Dunn on cryptocurrencies before. So lots of new things have happened since last time we kind of talked about it at a high level. Ethereum is now on everybody's mind, ICOs. So we wanted to do an episode and bring someone to talk about the difference in Bitcoin and Ethereum and touch on ICOs. We're not going to get too deep into it in this episode because that is a whole episode of itself. But we went out and got one of the best leading experts on blockchain technologies Bitcoin and Ethereum, and that is Ivan. We'll just call him Ivan on Tech because I like calling him that. But that is that's basically his company. He's the
0: founder and he's the blockchain expert. Yeah, that and also I I definitely can't pronounce his last name. I don't know if you can. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh,
1: we'll we'll save face by uh, by not trying to crack it. But yeah, Ivan on Tech is a good. Come on, this guy's awesome. A lot of listeners have have uh, been following him on YouTube. He's explaining a lot of these, these technologies and these new trends in layman's terms. So we're going to have him on. Man, so much to talk about, Johnny.
0: Yeah, definitely. So if you guys aren't familiar with Ivan on Tech, he is a Swedish YouTuber. Well, he's just a YouTuber. He happens to be Swedish, kind of like mm-hmm. PewDiePie. But the computer programmer version of PewDiePie, I would say. And uh, Ivan really just breaks down in simple terms – how the blockchain really works. As a programmer, he understands on a deep level how it works, but he has a good way of breaking it down in layman's terms for people like us. And that's why we're having on the show. So we can just kind of dive deep into cryptocurrencies, Ethereum and Bitcoin, but hopefully in a way where everybody's going to understand what they're getting into.
1: Right. So let's chat about Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Let's chat about blockchain versus Ethereum. Let's touch on ICOs, price targets, the future of the internet, how all this stuff plays out. I think it's really fascinating stuff. I'm not sure if I'm 100% believer in cryptocurrencies yet, although I am a owner as well as you. But man, I'm excited to get in this episode. So let's, let's hear it from Ivan. Let's do it. Here is Ivan. All right, guys, we're back. Ivan, so good to have you on the show.
2: Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for inviting me and um, I'm looking forward to this episode.
1: We are looking forward to it too. So I'd say eight of 10 of our most recent podcast requests have all been about cryptocurrencies and oh, wow. a lot. Yeah. A lot of our listeners have seen your material. I've been looking through a lot of your YouTube videos. Dude, thank you so much for putting out such great content.
2: So nice to hear, Sam. And it's so nice to hear that so many people are actually interested in cryptocurrency because it is really a new field and it can be tough to learn, tough to get into. And you really have to take your time and uh, and study and educate yourself. So I'm glad to hear that so many people are actually doing it and are interested. Yeah, man. So on this
1: episode, we're going to chat specifically about Bitcoin versus Ethereum. So many things Mm. that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I've been a Bitcoin investor for almost six years now. And to be honest, a lot of the stuff still confuses me. And a lot of what you're doing is helping non-technical people get their heads around this kind of new age, modern age of finance.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah, dude. Awesome. So why don't you start just with a little bit, just your background as tech? I, you know, your YouTube channel Correct. is called Ivan on, on Tech. You know, can you give us a little bit of background as you as a developer before you got into cryptocurrencies?
2: Of course, of course. So I've been programming since I was nine years old, actually. And uh, I uh, it all started when my mother actually got me a programming book. And I was hooked from the beginning because it really felt like Playing, it felt like Lego, but you actually build things, and you you're building things that uh, people are impressed by. So me, being a nine-year-old kid, I, I really enjoyed doing that, and I just wanted to learn more and more and more. And you really get you really get in, uh, sucked into this whole industry of technology because there's so much to learn. There, you're never done. There's always some kind of new technology. And you just keep learning and learning and you always know what the next step is. And so for me, I started doing websites. I started doing um, basic HTML websites and then I needed to add uh, more functionalities to my websites and I had to learn JavaScript and then I I had to learn backend and then I had to get into app development with um, the release of smartphones. And so it just continued. Mm -hmm. And the technology and programming is really my passion. And I'm so so, I'm so glad I discovered it early on. And uh, I worked as a freelancer doing iOS web and back end development on different projects. Mm -hmm. Also worked in a very big uh, British company called Ericsson for a few years where I experimented with artificial intelligence and did um, mostly front end, uh, but also some uh, artificial intelligence uh, development. And uh, Some years ago in 2013, more precisely, I got into cryptocurrencies. I heard about uh, Bitcoin, uh, of course. Uh, I think that is the first uh, cryptocurrency most people hear about and uh, really, really got interested in uh, Bitcoin and how that could possibly work, having a, a currency working in a decentralized manner. And the the same thing with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, there is just so much to learn and you are never done learning. And that is what I like about this space as well, because it's so challenging and it's so interesting to learn um, new things about new projects, new technologies. And it's developing very rapidly as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you mentioned building Legos as a kid, because that's one of the things that Mm. I always loved as a kid. When I would get my five, ten dollars allowance, I would go and buy Legos. And I can just imagine, you can really see how technology is just going to, and in special, even AI, everyone's talking about how AI is just going to grow at exponential rates. You can just see how this stuff's going to take off because now every nine-year-old in the world might not be building Legos. They might be building AI or they might be building exactly. some type of next generation technology because everyone's got an, an iPad and a computer now when they're when they're a youngster. It's just, it's insane.
2: Mm, and there are actually apps for iPad, in specifically, that teach uh, children how to program in a very fun way. And uh, programming is Lego for adults mm-hmm. because it is really challenging. You're building all these um, systems, all these apps, and it's fun as well. And what? so what year did you say you first heard about Bitcoin? It was in 2013, okay. uh, ju- just before the whole crash. So Bitcoin had this amazing bull run up mm-hmm. to $1,000. And uh, many of my friends started talking about Bitcoin. And that is how I first heard about it from my friends. And so I looked into it. And the technology behind Bitcoin, the blockchain, got me really interested in it. And uh, I invested some money. Uh, and we saw this uh, huge crash back to mm-hmm. 400 I think back in the days but Mm -hmm. that was actually a very good learning experience for me experiencing a crash and actually realizing that it will crash, but it will also recover. And since then, we've seen several crashes as well in Bitcoin. Yeah. And having experienced a crash early on, uh, got foundation of of experience, knowing that uh, long term, if this is a good technology, it will recover. And the markets don't only go up; they also go down <laughs> sometimes. And uh, I think that is something with cryptocurrencies. Many people, many people get worried when Bitcoin drops, maybe by 10-15% and everyone is so accustomed to this constant constant bull run but th- that is the thing it doesn't always go up sometimes mm-hmm. it goes down as well absolutely so fast forward to today how much time do you
1: spend looking into looking into studying analyzing cryptocurrencies
2: compared to other tech work that you do in the field I think I spend about two to three hours a day just wow. researching and learning about new technologies. Uh, and I think it's important to do as a programmer that you have your uh, your passion and mm-hmm. that you are willing to spend time learning about new technologies. Mm-hmm. And for me, the blockchain is my main focus nowadays. And that is uh, uh, where I spend most of my spare time and um, developing, developing my knowledge base. Uh, And also, I have my YouTube channel, Ivan on Mm -hmm. Take. And so, a lot of material goes into that as well. Whenever I learn something new, I do a video about that and share with the world. And for me, it's a very good way of both educating uh, the world, but also educating myself. Because when I can explain it to other people, I know that I have learned it myself. Definitely.
1: (laughs) Definitely. So, I actually got my first real take on Ethereum through one of your YouTube channels, YouTube video channels. And I'm still fascinated by Ethereum because I just heard it for the first time maybe six months ago. We did an episode on cryptocurrencies about Mm. February. And that was the first time actually on the episode that I heard about Ethereum. And since then, it seems like everyone I know is crazy about Ethereum. But I didn't realize that Ethereum is actually much, much deeper than just any type a single a solo type of, of uh new cryptocurrency. It's much, much deeper. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really wanted to focus this episode on is getting your take on what the difference in Bitcoin and Ethereum is and you know, what are the values and the futures of of both of those those call it products, platforms you can see calling so many different things, right?
2: Mm-hmm. No you are completely right. Ethereum is very very different from Bitcoin. And that is something I think many people should understand when they are getting into this space that Ethereum is not just a version of Bitcoin, uh, just some kind of modification of Bitcoin. It's completely different and has a completely different use case that we're going to talk more about on this uh, on this episode.
1: So first off, Bitcoin was started by who knows, right? There's a, a Japanese name exactly. on it, right? And I, and yeah. I kind of get like looking back at Bitcoin, why someone might not want to put their name on it. Because when you go up against the banks, when you go up against governments, a lot of time bad things happen, but it seems like there's people behind Ethereum and they're not afraid to put their name on. It. Isn't that correct?
2: Yeah, exactly. So Ethereum has a, a leader and that is Vitalik. Although I read that Vitalik wants to slowly step down as the main Ethereum person. And there are pros and cons to both approaches. So as you as you mentioned, the creator of Bitcoin is called Satoshi Nakamoto. And no one really knows who that is. It can be one person, it can be a group of people. But we have this uh, anonymous um, person or people who created it. And this really forces the Bitcoin community to develop different procedures and to really agree on how to take Bitcoin forward, how to develop Bitcoin uh, going into the future. And we've seen, for example, with the scaling debate uh, for the past couple of years, that it is a very difficult task because there's no clear leader. It's very difficult to agree on, uh, on anything really. And so this forces the community to do that anyways. And although it is inefficient, it is really at at the core of decentralization that there is no one person or one guru that uh, that tells people how how things should be and so in the case of ethereum we have we have vitalik and uh, everyone looks up to vitalik and he's a he's really a genius and uh, he managed to build this uh, this system uh, and it is more efficient in in the way that uh, Vitalik can influence a lot of decisions mm-hmm. but there's also some cons to that and I don't know if you have heard but there was a news this fake news that Vitalik was killed mm. and the, the price was just destroyed after that news and it was just a hoax uh, and so many investors in Ethereum and many people really really believe in Vitalik as a person and uh, that helps ethereum in this way that it's more efficient to reach consensus to make decisions but it's it is also um, having one person that is um, that that has a lot of attention could also be something negative and uh, I just think that Ethereum has a, a bit a bit different of a use case compared to Bitcoin, and uh, it's it's not going against the governments and it's not going mm-hmm. against the banks in the same fashion as Bitcoin. Uh, Ethereum is just a platform for decentralized applications, and people can build anything they like on on this platform, and so it could be one reason. But uh, I'm sure being vitalic it could be dangerous as well i i don't know how how he feels about that mm-hmm. but yeah he, he, his decision was to make it public and there are some pros and cons to that so when you look at bitcoin
1: and ethereum from a technical standpoint which do you right. think is actually more what, what impresses you more was it bitcoin being kind of a, an innovator and pioneer and and putting it out there or is it ethereum sort of kind of building on, I don't even know if you would say building on top of kind of a foundation that Bitcoin laid or what would, what would impress Mm -hmm. you more? What impresses you more as a, as a developer?
2: So currently I'm more impressed by Bitcoin actually. And that is because Ethereum is still in a very early stage. Mm -hmm. And so if Ethereum manages to solve the different scaling issues and to really become this vision they have laid out then i would change my uh, uh, preference to ethereum that that would be my most uh, uh, the project i'm most impressed with but so currently i'm very very interested in ethereum but mm-hmm. it is still an experiment and i think it's important for everyone to understand that ethereum is still in a very early stage and um, all of these uh, ideas that people have laid out and the visions for Ethereum still have to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I'm personally, I'm sure they will, but we still have to see how the development goes from today and going forward. And it's still a very young project. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's just a couple of years. I think it was in 2014 that Ethereum had uh, their crowdfunding. And uh, now we see the, the major use case of Ethereum currently is ICOs. While the grand vision is to have um, any kind of decentralized application running on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me personally, I want to wait and see a couple of years how, how this grand vision will play out.
1: Interesting. So Ethereum is not the same thing as blockchain. Is there is there comparables in what Ethereum is and the foundation of blockchain?
2: Uh, okay, so both Bitcoin and Ethereum use the blockchain technology, okay. and the blockchain technology is really at the core of almost every uh, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. except a couple. For example, we have IOTA, a cryptocurrency that doesn't it, and it it doesn't use um, uh, the um, blockchain. Mm-hmm. They have their own implementation called Tangle. But so almost all cryptocurrencies use the blockchain, and uh, we can start talking about Bitcoin and how blockchain helps Bitcoin, and then we can get into Ethereum and talk about how blockchain uh, really is at the foundation of Ethereum. Okay. So, if we start talking about Bitcoin and uh, discussing that, all right, so Bitcoin is this decentralized currency mm-hmm. that I can send money to anyone in the world without any central entity in the middle. And people, Uh, of course ask how can this possibly work and uh, that is the question i asked myself how can this possibly work what what is stopping me from cheating the system what is stopping me from telling everyone else on the network that i have one million bitcoin because it's decentralized there is no one central Bank or no one central regulator to check that I am telling the truth and so this is where the blockchain comes in and it is a data structure a database of all of the transactions that ever happened on the Bitcoin network. And everyone has a copy of this data structure, of this database, and everyone is able to verify that everyone else is telling the truth. This is a very basic um, overview Mm -hmm. of what the blockchain is. It gives the Bitcoin uh, the opportunity, the possibility to function in this decentralized way where I don't need to trust you, you don't need to trust me, we don't need to trust anyone. We can always check so that the other people are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And if we now transition into Ethereum, how is Ethereum different? And so Bitcoin in itself is just a currency application running on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And so what people start, people started thinking and uh, had this idea, what if we could build any application in this decentralized manner? While Bitcoin is only a money app, what if we could build any app that runs in this way. And that is how Ethereum was created. That is the idea of Ethereum to give the developers, the programmers, a foundation, a platform to build any kind of application. And this application will run in a decentralized manner. It will not execute on a server, on a central server. Mm-hmm. It will not execute on anyone's uh, one computer, one single computer, it will execute on everyone's computer and uh, it will be impossible to shut it down and it will run in this decentralized manner. And to make this work, Ethereum is also using the blockchain technology. But instead of saving transactions in, on the blockchain as Bitcoin does, Ethereum is saving states. Mm. And uh, you might be wondering, what is a state? A state is uh, the current, uh, the way the this Ethereum computer looks like currently mm-hmm. and when an application is executed the state changes and it is also saved to the blockchain so i know that might have sounded uh, very comp- confusing maybe complex but this is how i would describe the difference between ethereum and bitcoin and the role the blockchain plays in both of these projects and you you've mentioned decentralized
1: applications a couple of times yes. what would be an yeah. easy to digest Example of a decentralized application is as sen- is as simple as instead of everything being say on one server, it's on it's distributed across tons of servers.
2: Mm, uh, not really. What you're talking about is uh, distributed system mm. systems, and there is a difference. A distributed system. Can be centralized. So for example, Amazon, they have many, many servers. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, it is still centralized because it's one single entity. And I can give you a very simple example. Okay. Imagine, let's imagine that we have some kind of idea and we want to run a crowdfunding campaign for it. And we have a floor. We have a floor, meaning that if we don't reach this number of uh, dollars uh, in the contributions, everyone will get their, uh, their funds back. Mm-hmm. So we have this condition. One way we could implement it is in the central manner. And this is how Kickstarter starter works, meaning that we have a server that keeps track of uh, how much money we have. Collected, And if we don't reach this floor, it will just send the money back to the contributors. Mm-hmm. That would be a centralized version. A decentralized version would be that we have a decentralized application running on, for example, Ethereum, and all the contributions would be sent to that uh, decentralized application. So people are not sending money to us people are sending money to this decentralized application. And this decentralized application checks how much money is collected. And if we don't reach our floor until this certain date that we have specified in the the smart contract, in the decentralized application, the application itself will send back the funds to the contributors. So this way, no one can alter how this decentralized application functions. No one can just go and change the code for the decentralized applications uh, application it is impossible and so people who contribute money to our fundraiser can be 100% sure that if we don't reach our floor Uh, the funds will be returned Mm. however in the case uh, in the centralized case people need to trust the middleman for example the kickstarter that their server will function properly Mm. and that uh, their server will make all the right decisions while in the decentralized case they can read the the code themselves uh, they can verify the code for the decentralized application Mm. and uh, really be 100% sure that they're sending money to a smart contract to a decentralized application when I say smart contract you can just replace it with decentralized application they're really what well, two, two words for basically the same thing uh, and so this is the difference uh, between centralized and decentralized applications yeah
1: okay. and so when when we talk about ethereum that is that was created that is that is a base of code that someone wrote and created correct
2: Uh, Yes. So Ethereum in itself is a protocol Mm -hmm. and when you download the Ethereum client, you are a part of this Ethereum network and you actually execute the smart contracts written by other people. And uh, this is how it works. And Mm -hmm. the code for smart contracts, the code for decentralized applications, it is stored on the blockchain and the code for Ethereum. The code for the actual platform is in your client that you run on your computer.
1: Okay. Cool. Man, this stuff is, it just keeps evolving and evolving in my mind. I'm getting more and more questions as we go along,
2: but it's a rabbit hole.
1: Yeah. It's a big rabbit hole. So the the group that, that created Ethereum, what are, what's the incentive to them? I mean, obviously there's a commercial aspect to this somewhere, right? They're not just doing this as a, as a public service.
2: Yes. So when it comes to Ethereum and when it comes to really any decentralized application, decentralized token on on a blockchain technology, there is always some kind of economy uh, built in into the the decentralized applications. And so Ethereum has its own native token called the Ether. Mm. And when you want to execute smart contracts on Ethereum, you need to pay the network in ether so that people who run your code actually get compensated and because you can write any code on ethereum it also prevents spam because i can write some kind of crazy program that just executes some millions of operations, but I will have to pay for every operation. And so this is a way to eliminate spam as well. And because the Ethereum uh, creators reserved a substantial amount of Ether to themselves, this Mm. is how they are rewarded. And also Ethereum had their ICO in 2014. And so people actually crowdfunded the project with uh, Bitcoin. So you could participate in their ICO and buy Ether back in 2014 2014 uh, with Bitcoin and get some Ether very cheaply compared to the prices now, uh, and so this is how they were initially funded. But because they have so much funding in Ether and Ether has really exploded to three hundred dollars currently, mm-hmm. they they're just <laughs> having salaries it's like a normal company. Right. Uh, and the developers who work on Ethereum, uh, I'm sure they're receiving salaries.
1: So everyone that's going around saying. I just bought Ethereum, I just bought Ethereum, I just bought Ethereum. I, I probably heard it 10 times a day. They're mm-hmm. really buying Ether, correct?
2: Yes. So Ether is the token mm-hmm. that you use in order to pay for smart contracts on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So, And this is the main difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Ethereum at its core is not a currency. It is just fuel for decentralized applications. And uh, It can be treated as a currency, uh, like people are doing now. They're trading it and you can buy things with uh, Ether if you find someone who wants to sell you goods and services for Ether. So it can be used as a means of exchange. But at its core, it is the fuel for decentralized applications, while Bitcoin is purely a currency and uh, nothing else, really.
1: And can you buy Bitcoin and Ethereum in most of the same places?
2: Uh, Yes. So... If you live in the US, you can probably use Coinbase. Mm-hmm. I live in Sweden. I can also use Coinbase. So I think many countries can just go to Coinbase and purchase uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, even Litecoin uh, with um, normal dollars. And I know some countries cannot use uh, Coinbase, and in that case, you will have to find some some kind of local exchange. But so, for the most part, there are different websites, different exchanges that you can use in order to buy Ethereum, Bitcoin, Litecoin, uh, and there are also websites when you can trade cryptocurrencies, such as Poloniex. And, for example, when you buy your uh, if Bitcoins and Ethereum on Coinbase, you can you cannot trade with all of these small currencies and mm-hmm. all these small uh, projects but if you go to Poloniex, they have tens if not hundreds of different currencies you can trade wow and uh, yeah
1: yeah i i just think back to bitcoin and it just amazes me now that bitcoin was kind of the first it became popular and it still seems like it's king and to me that mm-hmm. just that just that just boggles my mind as who created it like it's so impressive that after all these hundreds and hundreds of new coins have been created and issued it's like bitcoin is still mm. king and i just i feel like that is just either a genius created it or a really really smart group of people created it but it doesn't it just get the brain spinning as as who's behind it how many coins maybe they initially kept and and what their motives were so
2: if i remember correctly satoshi has one million bitcoins uh-huh. uh, and so with today's price he would be worth 4 4 billion over 4 billion <laughs> dollars wow. and you you are correct that bitcoin has had the first mover advantage and in the cryptocurrency space, as well as in many other industries and uh, spaces, we have a very long tail. So mm-hmm. if you look at the prices, Bitcoin is at uh, uh, currently 4,600 and then Ethereum at 300. And then it just, uh, it, it, it builds this long tail of hundreds of coins that are not really worth much compared to uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. And uh, I agree that it's, it's very interesting to speculate who, who Satoshi is, but uh, no one knows for sure. There are a couple of different people who might be Satoshi that people think could be Satoshi. And there is actually one person who claims to be Satoshi in the Bitcoin world. However, in my view, I I wouldn't trust him. It's a good way to get famous (laughs) quick. (laughs) Yes, yes. Because um, so um, there is this person called Craig Wright, Mm -hmm. and he claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. But it's just the fact that it's so easy to prove that you are Satoshi. You just need to move 100 Of a Bitcoin from the Satoshi Nakamoto account. If anyone can just move some kind of amount of Bitcoin from that account to another account, they prove that they are Satoshi. But he hasn't done that. And of course, I don't know for sure, but that would really convince me if someone can actually move Satoshi's funds, then we know for sure who Satoshi is.
1: I always had this theory that it was Elon Musk because when he founded PayPal or, or the company that became PayPal back in the day, it seemed like mm-hmm. that was his vision was to create a new digital currency, not to exactly. create, not to create an online bank. So I've always had this suspicion that it was him and why put his name on it when he's got all these other projects and probably doesn't want to go up against banks and governments with everything, with all of his other ambitions that he
2: mm-hmm. has. Interesting new version. I don't know. I honestly don't know because the- maybe it was so- Ivan on tech. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. Because thing is, blockchain in itself, It's a very clever idea, but it's using technologies that have been around uh, for a long time. For Mm -hmm. example, the hashing algorithms or proof-of-work algorithms. These technologies have been around. And so what what amazes me is this clever, clever way of putting together different technologies, known technologies, in order to create something completely uh, new and Mm -hmm. different and can actually be used as a currency.
1: It's really fascinating stuff. Where where do you see Bitcoin and Ethereum? Not Ethereum, but let's say something like Ether or Litecoin. How do you see them Mm -hmm. evolving? Because I've heard Bitcoin has some fundamental issues that could make it less viable for high, high volume transactions. Like let's say the world adopted Mm -hmm. Bitcoin right away to go buy a cup of coffee. There might be, there might be issues with those types of transactions.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you're correct. All blockchain projects currently have a very, very big issue and that is the uh, scaling issue. Mm And because it is the main challenge of a blockchain project is to reach consensus on the network, meaning that all the different nodes should agree on the truth because we don't have a central entity telling us what has happened. And so there is a lot of overhead with that. And uh, there are different solutions. For example, in Bitcoin, we have the Lightning Network which is an interesting technological solution where the transactions can take place off-chain. So instead of recording every every transaction on the blockchain and having to validate every transaction, we can do a bunch of transactions just between each other, and then we only record the difference to the Mm -hmm. blockchain. So you and I could do millions of small microtransactions and uh, we would only record the actual result to the main blockchain. Mm -hmm. And we have Raiden, the Raiden network in Ethereum, which is a similar concept, but makes the whole Ethereum network faster and executing smart contracts faster. So there are different solutions. As of the use case of Bitcoin, I think we There are several different paths. So one path is that Bitcoin will just be a store of value, maybe that you do not transact with Bitcoin in your everyday life, but you have this secure uh, store of value, much like gold. Uh, mm-hmm. That could be one, one way this could develop. Mm-hmm. But I uh, personally, I think that we will use Bitcoin in our everyday transactions because uh, there are different ideas how to scale this. And much like the internet was slow back in the days and you couldn't even download the picture. It took forever to download the picture. Uh, <laughs> which, pi- but surely, which, which picture are you talking about, Ivan? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but slowly but surely, you you could. And then people wanted to watch videos uh, on the mm-hmm. internet. And that was slowly in the beginning, but uh, in the end, you could watch videos. And maybe in the future, people would uh, will want to go in, into the VR worlds in the in your browser. And that will be slow in the beginning. Yeah. But sooner or later, this these problems will be solved. And I think we might see a similar development with um, Bitcoin and Ethereum as well. That yes, they are slow today but as more people use it the more challenges they will have and they will solve the challenges and then they will just face new challenges just like the internet does Yeah, oh,
1: it's a great comparison great to see this timeline of how things evolve and how quickly things have evolved especially in our in our lifetime right <laughs> you know with the internet and the the slow pictures downloading and and just you know, what kids are going through today with access to the internet and access to all this technology and applications. I think it's, it's really exciting. And the the whole concept of decentralized applications, it's, it's still a little vague to me, but I can see the future in it. And I know you're a visionary yeah. guy. I know you think about the future of the internet. I'm sure what, how can, how can Ethereum kind of help pave the way for the future of the internet? How can decentralized applications play a bigger role in the future of the internet?
2: Mm -hmm. very good question and uh, so if we think about how internet developed first first we had web 1.0 which was just text basically and uh, then users demanded more features we wanted to have social networks we wanted to actually create accounts on different websites and that is what web 2.0 was that you can actually have these interactions online Mm -hmm. but both there is a common uh, theme between web 1.0 and web 2.0 and that is that everything works in a client server infrastructure that we have our browsers and they connect to servers and the servers decide what will happen and what the browsers will get back from the server and so people are talking about web 3.0 with the rise of ethereum meaning that instead of having a client server infrastructure Instead, we will have uh, a decentralized internet where decentralized applications are executed instead of centralized applications. So, for example, Facebook or any other social media site uh, that most people are using today, they are are centralized, meaning that everything goes through their servers. If Mm -hmm. I want to send a message to you, it will first go to Facebook server and then it will go to you. Mm -hmm. But so people are having this vision of web 3.0 where we will interact in a decentralized manner using decentralized applications on the internet where so in the future when we will have decentralized social networks if I send a message, it goes directly to you through the blockchain. There's no intermediary, I- intermediary, no middleman uh-huh. as we're currently having because every server right now, it is a central, it is a central entity meaning that it can be shut down and it is also a middleman. Mm. While in web 3.0 there will be no middleman. Uh, my own uh, view is that we will have some kind of hybrid uh, internet both with servers and decentralized applications because you really have to think about the use case when it comes to Ethereum, building projects on Ethereum, and really validate that your idea uh, actually needs the blockchain, because the blockchain is an excellent t- technology, but it has its own use cases. So if you need a decentralized application, if you need this uh, ledger that is uh, uh, that everyone has access to, if you need a transparent system, then, of course, blockchain is a very good idea. And I think we will see more and more use cases of that on, on the web
1: fascinating stuff and i guess if things are going without an intermediary without centralization it'll also make things harder to track right right now anyone can get access to someone it'll say the government can go to facebook and say i need x y and z and you got to hand over all mm-hmm. that details but if there is no intermediary it goes peer-to-peer then te- theoretically then things will be much more difficult to track correct
2: mm-hmm. so privacy is a very big part of cryptocurrencies and the So, currently, there is, um, so cryptocurrencies are both very private, Mm -hmm. but also not private. uh, Because if I figure out your addresses, I can just track everything you do uh, on the blockchain. So, it goes both ways. If you use the blockchain correctly and you uh, want to stay private, it is possible to be completely private. But I wouldn't say that you are completely anonymous using Ethereum or using Bitcoin. But you are correct that uh, there is th- there will be no central entity that anyone can just go to, and there will be no central entity that uh, anyone can just sue or right. or, or intimidate uh, mm-hmm. like we have currently.
1: Right. Yeah, much more so in in uh, my country of the USA than I believe in Sweden, a very latitious country in the USA. <laughs> and and speaking of the USA, they they keep balking at the fact that they're going to regulate cryptocurrencies, that uh, they're going to do these things to track them. I have no idea how that will play out or how that will affect Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but I guess from a technical standpoint to understand it better, is it possible for them to actually track this stuff? Is it possible for them to you know, I don't even know how it would work. They would make you like just declare it. And then if you don't want to declare it, then what happened? Uh, you know, can they I don't know if they can ever f- get their heads mm-hmm. fully around it without the consent of the blockchain or or people that own um, Bitcoin.
2: Mm hmm. I'm actually asking myself very similar questions and I'm sure we will we will see some kind of regulations. For example, we have regulations in Sweden that you need to declare all of your earnings in on in Bitcoin, but uh, there's actually no enforcement currently of that and uh, the overhead of doing that. Of doing all the tracking is just enormous. And there is nothing stopping anyone from just creating new accounts and uh, uh, continuing using mm-hmm. it. So I think it's a very hard task for for governments and uh, I have no idea how cryptocurrencies will be regulated in 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 the way regular Transactions are currently with, with the dollars and yeah, fiat currencies.
1: Yeah. Well, governments certainly love to control that stuff. I think, especially when it comes to finance and economies, they want everything under roof. So it's going to be really mm-hmm. interesting to see how these cryptocurrencies play out and how c- countries support them, adopt them or oppose them in the future. And I guess the second c- follow up thing to the tracking side of it is a lot of our listeners know, and I was catching up with you before this episode. I lost 30 coins in Mt. Gox back in the day. I think that was mm, mm. one of the really early setbacks for Bitcoin. I, I think at the time it was almost a half a billion dollars in Bitcoin lost. Now I don't even know what that figure could be. It could be, it could be 10 billion. It, it was, it was a ton of coins. 30 of them mine. I know they just caught some Russian guy that they're they're linking to it. You think it's ever possible for those coins to be returned to the rightful owners?
2: Yeah, it's horrible as you say that this hack happened, but it it shows a good uh, a good point that uh, you, if you have a large amount of coins, large amount of money in uh, in cryptocurrencies, that you shouldn't really trust any exchange mm-hmm. and that you sh- should store your own Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrency you have. And uh, so yes, they they got this Russian man who is suspected for hacking Mt. Gox, but no one really knows how everything happened. And if he himself really did the hack, he's sus- suspe- suspected. But uh, it's all very unknown currently. And when it comes to recovering the coins, it it comes down to the private keys. Who has the private keys to the accounts that currently hold the stolen bitcoins? And mm-hmm. I'm sure there are many, many accounts that do that. I, I can't imagine that it's just only one account. And so in that way, there is no actual way to enforce this recovery. Uh, the only way to recover is to uh, sue this man or maybe some other, <laughs> some other people and, and then get him to release the private keys. D- this is the only way I can imagine. Because if, if the law enforcement doesn't have the private keys, there is no way for them to do anything when it comes to actually recovering the coins.
1: I'm gutted. I was really hoping you were going to say yes, absolutely. They're going to be returned to you within 24 <laughs> hours, and you'll have 30 more bitcoins in your wallet.
2: <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. I'm sorry for your for your loss, Sam. I mean, yeah. it's horrible that. Happen. Well, you
1: know, th- but to go to to your comment about not saving them, especially all on one exchange, at yeah. least I had the f- the foresight. I I bought 60 at the time, and I had moved half away. Uh, and this was mm-hmm. relatively early on, but this is, you know, this is one of, uh, one of the challenges with being an early adopter. And also, you know, I've wait, I'm, I've at least made way more money with the coins that I, that I, I'm still holding, hopefully not mm-hmm. touch wood safely than I lost in, in Mount Gox. So it's one of the challenges of being an early adopter, but also one of the, the exciting parts and the thrills and also the opportunity of being an early adopter. And who knows, you know, we might look back. In 20 years from now, and say people that bought today when Bitcoin was at five thousand were early adopters. We th- we don't really know how far it's going to go, but that's also part of the, the excitement and thrill, and certainly one of mm. the things that's driving the this massive upward trend in cryptocurrencies.
2: Yeah, of course. And so one thing I've been thinking of just just yesterday and a couple of days ago, and that is that only 21 million people will be able to hold one Bitcoin if mm-hmm. if we just gave out one Bitcoin to to people, we would only be able to give 21 million people one Bitcoin because there there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins in existence. And if you take into account how many Bitcoins are simply lost because Mm. people lost their private keys, it's even less people. And if you only own one Bitcoin. And the uh, cryptocurrencies go mainstream, I think it's well enough. I mean, it's. Uh, it, I, I think it, it will be a lot, just one single Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Do you have a price target that you think will happen maybe in the next five years for Bitcoin if it continues
2: to, you know, if something catastrophic mm-hmm. doesn't happen, but it continues to plug along? So my gut feeling is that it will... It has a very bright future, and it will continue to rise and rise. We might see crashes in the short term, of course. No one can be one hundred percent sure that it won't happen. But long term, I think it will just keep keep rising because if you if you really believe in the technology and if you have really studied, you it's easy for me to to see how this may become mainstream. And so, uh, however, when it comes to specific numbers. I think it's just so challenging to say because if you think about only in the beginning of this year, one Bitcoin was $700 and now mm-hmm. it's 4000 And if anyone asked uh, me, Ivan, what do you think the Bitcoin price will be in uh, September? I wouldn't even dream of 4000 Right. But uh, – I think it will be worth tens of um, thousands of dollars in a few years. But I mean, I'm not a financial advisor. It's just my gut feeling, my unprofessional (laughs) gut feeling. I think it's
1: fascinating to have people from, from very heavy technical backgrounds like yourself to come on and give us a value proposition and the understanding of the technical side of it. We've had all types of people come on and give price perspectives. John McAfee, who created McAfee Security, real famous guy for different reasons, I just bought a a, comp, a public company and is trying to make it into the biggest, I think, Ethereum or Bitcoin mining company. But he's saying he thinks Bitcoin will be at $500,000 exactly. in, in the next yeah, decade. Yeah. I know a lot of people saying a hundred thousand. I originally was, was looking at it as if it could become a top 25 currency in the world, you know, if it basically became the, the money supply of the Chilean peso, it could easily uh-huh. surpass 10,000. Right. And could could Bitcoin become a top twenty five currency in the world? Absolutely, right. Like who who's buying mm. the Chilean peso? So exactly. I think I think Thank that you. there there's tremendous upside as well. And we'll just have to see how it all plays out. It's, it's it's super interesting. And you know, as cryptocurrencies, what what excites you most, Ivan? What's what do you like the most? You're you're a new age guy, tech background. What excites you when you start looking at at cryptocurrencies and the future of how they they can play into our everyday lives?
2: So for me it's actually that people in unstable countries have a way of storing value and that they can trust more than the native currency because uh, my family is from Belarus and uh, I actually know first firsthand how it is not knowing how much your currency will be worth tomorrow and uh, so when they moved from Belarus 1 w- was worth 2000 rubles and just 10 years after that it was uh, it was 30,000 rubles mm. and so it's just this huge devaluation of uh, of currency and th- that is actually what excites me the most and where i see bitcoin today currently already doing a lot of good mm-hmm. that for example, people in Venezuela or somewhere else where the currency cannot be trusted, really. It's currently their only choice is to buy dollars or before Bitcoin. The only choice was to buy dollars or euro or some other stable currency. But now they can just open an account and uh, buy some bitcoins. It's very easy and very straightforward. So that is what is exciting the most currently today. But in the future, I'm very excited about the Web 3.0, how we can have decentralized uh, applications in different fields. And I'm also excited when we come to a point where governments start accepting decentralized applications, for example, or cryptocurrencies, because there are so many use cases Mm -hmm. that you can uh, implement on Ethereum or on other uh, decentralized platforms. Just a, a couple of days, I was talking about on my channel a use case for keeping track of how many days people have queued for apartments. So I can mm-hmm. just give some uh, backstory here in Sweden. If you want to rent a uh, an apartment from the government, you can uh, uh, you can place yourself in a queue, and the person who has the mo the most queue days. So each day you you get a point. So th- and if you have the most points, you get to choose an apartment, and they will give you a contract. However, there is also this. This corruption issue we've seen several cases where politicians and uh, yeah these people running this queue uh, put their children in front of the queue or their relatives in front of the queue and if we just had a decentralized application keeping track of everyone's points everyone's queue days this wouldn't be an issue so this is a perfect application of decentralized applications uh, keeping track of how many days each person has accumulated mm. And when we see when we see these applications actually uh, contributing to society, that that is something I'm really excited and looking forward to.
1: So much fun! And what about the future of all these coins? We got ICOs coming out, new coins being issued and created all the time. I still think it's mm-hmm. incredible that Bitcoin was created and seems to be continue to be unthrown by coins that could. Theoretically, just build on its foundation. All these new coins coming out, are they that much different than Bitcoin or are they they fundamentally the same and trying to put a cool name on it? Mm, So
2: we've seen many ICOs in just uh, last few months Mm -hmm. and it is a really, really hot market. Many of the coins have their own application. They try to build, for example, some kind of website. And on this website, you will use coins for some kind of specific purpose. Mm-hmm. And so they try to build a decentralized application where the coin will be used for uh, some uh, performing some kind of action. And so they're not the same as Bitcoin. Uh, currently, we're seeing ICOs that are launching on ethereum so people are actually building other coins on top of ethereum and most of these new icos are actually other coins that are built on top of ethereum it's very popular currently, and uh, you you can make a coin like that in in a few hours and that is something also i want to communicate to everyone that just because it says an ico (laughs) doesn't mean that it required some kind of professional people. Just because it's a blockchain project, it doesn't mean that it will succeed. And so we've seen many scams with ICOs. Mm. We've seen many hacks with ICOs, people who are just deploying these crowdfunding contracts without really knowing how to create these contracts in a secure way. But uh, when it comes to it, I th- comes to it, I think ICOs have really revolutionized the way we do crowdfunding, and it's really incredible that we have this new way of uh, funding projects and companies. So in general, it's a very good invention and a very new good concept. However, currently the market is just so crazy and. Uh, because it's so new, investors don't have experience of evaluating these right. ICOs. Because you're really investing in a technology startup. And you need to be sure that they have a team, that they have good track record, that you check their code. And so this is actually something I do on my YouTube channel. We go to different um, uh, ICO projects, on the, to different blockchain projects, and we actually look at their code. And we examine, or is this project even active does does it have developers are people developing the code base and so there are different things you need to think about when investing in icos but generally i i'm personally very glad that we have this new way of funding Uh, and that is basically that i can create some kind of app on the blockchain i can create uh, tokens I can sell these tokens to people and if it has a good use case and the app grows in user base, these tokens will be more and more valuable because often these tokens are used for something in the app. So you need these tokens to actually use the app. And so if the app is really good and more and more people are using it, the demand for my tokens will go up in value. And this is why people are launching ICOs. They hold A substantial amount of these tokens themselves, Mm -hmm. they do a crowdfunding and sell a portion of the tokens to the public. And then they try to get their app as popular as possible so that these tokens are uh, appreciating in value. That being said, there are also a lot of scams that do that as well. You just create a token in a a few hours. You you put up a website, you put up a PDF with your white paper. It looks very impressive and Mm -hmm. people invest. And we've seen several times that then this project is just gone. People just disappear with the funds
1: this ico category is evolving so rapid fast i think it's we we've done equity crowdfunding campaigns on here equity crowdfunding has only been around at least in the usa for a couple of years now before that you know access to venture capital and and having an actual ipo Was really, you know, the way to get a lot of liquidity and capitalization into your, your project. Now it's almost like leapfrogging to a point where someone can create, go public with their startup Mm. or, you know, funding an application and put out an ICO, create the, the code or whatever it takes to create these tokens in a matter of hours, put out a small plan and literally get funding from all around the world, different countries, peer to peer. It's just incredible, but it's happening so fast. It's scary.
2: It's happening very fast. If you look at the chart over how much money is raised uh, in ICOs in total, it just explodes during this summer. So just uh, in August, June, and July, this chart just goes through the roof. Uh, If you just Google like ICO total amount raised, you will find this chart on Google. And this actually got to a point where China decided to ban All ICOs. And Mm. this is very recent news that came out uh, just a few days ago. Uh, And so they are actually banning all ICOs, uh, at least temporarily. Uh, They have hinted that you will need some kind of license in the future. But so I think we might see more regulations when it comes to ICOs. Because as you mentioned, it's just been so so crazy and it's moving so fast and they are really feeling that they need to catch up so china just said okay no icos from now on and we will think about how icos will uh, function in the future maybe you will you will need some license maybe you will need to apply in some way but th- this is the current development
1: it's interesting i'm in hong kong right now everyone's talking about cryptocurrencies and if you ban the chinese from it it's just going to make it more desirable and to find ways to do it so
2: right things happening right,
1: right. fast ivan thank you so much for coming on man tell us how we can hear about more YouTube channel and, and maybe some upcoming things.
2: Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube, Ivan on Tech. If you're interested in uh, blockchain projects, if you're interested in actually understanding how this sphere works, how blockchain works, how different projects on the blockchain are doing. Because as I mentioned, we, uh, we look at the code and I try to explain it in simple terms how a specific project is doing. So if you want to learn more, visit me on YouTube. And uh, thank you for having me on your show, Sam.
1: Man, much appreciate We love your content. Thanks for your commitment in helping us less technical people understand this new age of finance. We'll leave links to all the material in the show notes. You're the man, Ivan. Appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun.
2: Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you very much.
0: All right. That was real, real interesting. I, I think I had I had to listen to that twice just to get all the information.
1: Yeah, that was a great episode, man. This stuff... We're just scratching the surface, and that's why there's this mass adoption that's happening right now in cryptocurrencies. Is because for the last six, seven, eight, nine years, I don't think people just understood them, I and I, I still don't think people understand them that well. But people are are kind of dabbling in it or taking a, ch- a chance. But we got into a lot of really good stuff on that. I have a much better understanding of what's going on, but. Still have a lot of questions to be answered in the future and looking forward to doing additional episodes on this stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing about it is I, I think it's it's like a, almost like a – I don't know if Cash22 is the word for it, but there's two sides to Bitcoin. One, it could be you know a massive bubble and it could you know pop or something might happen and go to zero. But at the same time, there's so many smart people, smarter than me, smarter than us that are you know super into it. Like, guys like even. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I I think he's right. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think there's going to be lots of ups and downs. There might be some hacks. There might be, you know, a lot of negative, you know, things to it. But I think cryptocurrency itself is not going anywhere. I, I, I really think it's going to be the future, especially... Because you know the world is getting more and and more international people like us are traveling on the world we're doing business overseas, and by having a decentralized currency, it just makes sense well,
1: I think you you read that perfectly, and your perspective on it I agree
0: completely but, the, like i mean of, that, that yeah, also, but then, but then knowing that should we invest in it i mean be, knowing that there's For my personal opinion, I think here's the difference between investing in cryptocurrency and investing in something like index funds. We know the stock market is going to go up and down. There's probably going to have another crash. But here's the thing is most likely nobody's going to hack our Vanguard account and steal all of our money. I mean, the the chances of that are very, very slim. And if it happens, you could probably recover it. Vanguard might drop or I mean, not Vanguard, but the, the stock market might drop by 40%, You know, maybe even more. But it's not like the it's going to go to zero and people are going to stop using us stocks or or it's going to move on to something completely different but with cryptocurrencies we have a serious chance of both of those things happening where it could yeah. literally go to zero and people might use something completely different than bitcoin or ethereum something new might come out and it might you know it might just take over or there's a very very high chance that either the exchange that you're on will get hacked or your personal wallet will get hacked or that you'll lose the keys that you wrote down somewhere and put you know, in your physical wallet, which is literally just a piece of paper.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot that can go wrong, obviously, especially if you're you're not tech savvy. I mean I've had a bad experience. I think a lot of the early adopters, talking like people that bought back in 2010 or before or recently after, I think I bought in 2012, I think – Maybe 50% of the early adopters that I've heard have lost coins somewhere, even if it's just writing them down or throwing away an old computer. So there's still a lot of things that can go wrong. But kind of underlying all of this is one really important piece, which is everybody hates banks. The whole world hates banks, and everyone's looking for a different way to get 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 away from them, essentially. I can remember distinctly when I was in Europe going back to 2013 when the Bank of Cyprus went bust. My friend had fifteen million dollars in there. Okay, that was a stupid move, anyways. All right, but he lost everything. He got a hundred thousand dollars back because that was what it was insured up to, and that was it. And people don't realize that banks are not necessarily safe. Historically, they're fairly safe, but they're it's it's not a hundred percent. Yeah, and they're thing, safe right? until they're not. And dealing with, right, they're safe until they're not. And I think more and more of them will become less and less safe. And at the end of the day, like cryptocurrency is a fiat currency. It has essentially no intrinsic value. It just has perceived value. But that's what almost all the currencies in the world are, right? There's, there's no more gold standard. There's nothing backing the U.S. dollar essentially except for the faith and credit of the U.S. government. So it's really not that much different. Uh, you know, people call it a digital currency. but. So is the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is a digital currency. That the paper that's printed is just a means of exchanging that. But it's really just you know it's just paper. You wipe, wipe your bubble yeah, if you I want. Yeah, I mean that,
0: that's definitely true. But at the same time, you know we have the whole U.S. economy, businesses, and government backing it. And I think that if the U.S. dollar you know goes to crap, but you know and, and you're right, you're 100 percent right where it is not technically backed by anything. But you know it is backed by the faith of america and that's not going anywhere well there's a lot of
1: things that play into the the u.s like the reason that the u.s can print so much money that it as it's currently printed and that's because the u.s dollar is the reserve currency of the world but if for any reason that stopped or ceased to exist all the money would flow back to the u.s people would stop trading it all the money would flow back to u.s it could create hyperinflation all of a sudden you could have a a germany you know world war uh pre a post-world war one scenario where the money's basically worthless so it works now because the u.s dollar is the reserve currency of the world and we can kind of get away with it but things could change and i remember distinctly when that bank of cyprus went bust my buddy lost all of his money but a few of us also owned bitcoin and bitcoin like went up two and a half times overnight because people see this they see the writing on the wall and they they don't trust the banks. They don't want to have all their money in the banks. So yeah, I, there's a lot of factors driving this stuff. I think it's I think it's really fascinating. Pay attention I can definitely to see that.
0: And you know, my condolences to your your buddy. That sucks for that to have happened. I think one thing we can learn from him, from you know, your situation with Mount Gox, but also kind of just in general, is we should just never have all of our eggs in one basket. If you're gonna have, sure. if you're gonna own Bitcoin. Try not to have more than you're willing to lose in any one exchange. Um, you know, as much as I hate PayPal and I hate like Bank of America, unfortunately, the exchanges right now are still are also terrible. Like Coinbase has some of the worst mm-hmm. customer service in the world. Yeah, really. And it's it, and it was mainly because they were just overwhelmed. You know, they they're technically a pretty small company, but they're handling so many transactions, so many people, and so many tickets. That they just couldn't keep up. And I think now they, they, they've gotten a big round of funding from a, like a really big VC firm. So I think some of that, well, hopefully that money's going to go into some better customer service. But even things like using, for example, their, you know, refer a friend sign up link where if you refer a friend using your link, you get, you both get $10 in Bitcoin. They've, they've never paid anybody that as far as I know. So it just, you know, little things (laughs) just are not perfect with them either. I think until we can spend bitcoin or ethereum or whatever it is on a credit card or on apple pay just like we do you know with our traditional banks there's always going to be some kind of issues.
1: You know, I wonder how the banks get involved in this. This would be good to get someone's opinion. I don't know if you have an opinion on it, Johnny, but that may make people feel more comfortable if say Bank of America all of a sudden says, "You can store your bitcoins with us. It's, you know, safe and backed by the US government." But I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen there or how that would change the game for cryptocurrencies or for government policies, but that would be interesting, and I'm sure it's something that most of the banks are at least taking a look I at I so
0: or they might be like Kodak and just sitting back just thinking, Oh you know, we're gonna be <laughs> fine. <laughs> Our product's the best so i'm <laughs> i'm I'm curious what are you personally gonna do with cryptocurrencies? Are you gonna just hold what you have now? Are you gonna buy more? Are you gonna sell? What are you gonna do? I'm staying where I'm at. I
1: loaded up quite a bit back in 2012, although the price was relatively low. But like I see it as something that you know, Bitcoin. I've heard people. I think John McAfee just said that he thinks it will go to five hundred thousand. I've heard a lot of people, including myself, say it'll go to ten thousand. Now a lot of people are saying it's going to go to hundred thousand. I just think it's fun to be part of and have a little piece of. But I don't think it's going to replace traditional fiat currencies anytime soon, or, or you know, U.S. dollars or euros. You know, it could become a pretty big thing in five years. But because I had a bad experience, I, some of our listeners that are big crypto enthusiasts, my friend owned Coin MX, which was one of the biggest exchanges after Mt. Gox. They got shut down by the U.S. government because they didn't have a money transmitting license. This was before, I guess, Bitcoin was thought of as money but they ruled it as money the guy's going to jail he's my friend he's going to jail for five and a half years but a lot of people that were using that exchange lost money so i don't know how, who you can really trust except just go for the biggest one but remember Mt. gox was the biggest one back in the day yeah right? so I,
0: I i think if anything my advice to to people would be just spread it out you know don't have more than yeah. whatever you're willing to lose in, in each exchange you know whether that number is ten thousand dollars or one bitcoin or whatever it is just you know I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where, if you are going to invest in Bitcoin, my suggestion is: do not invest in anything you're not willing to lose. It's it's to me, it's a super high risk, super high reward type of gamble. Where personally, I wouldn't put more than ten percent of my my net worth in Bitcoin or any kind of cryptocurrency. I think anyone who puts a hundred percent is an idiot because if they, you know, get lucky and everything works out and they become super rich, they're you know, still an idiot, but they're a lucky idiot <laughs> and they and they lose all their yeah. money yeah. and they're just an idiot
1: and there's definitely people out there putting hundred percent in right now. I mean you know a lot I'm sure a lot of college kids a lot of people were the first five ten grand they see this stuff going. I think I don't think you would put ten percent in, would you
0: Johnny No definitely not but i I would consider putting up to five percent in just because I do see mm. this as the you know as as even said the start of the internet. And when we say the wild, wild west, we really do mean, I don't think people picture the wild, wild west the way it was. You know, people kind of throw out that term saying, Oh, you know, it's unregulated, but it really means there are people riding around in carriages, jacking you (laughs) and trying to steal your Bitcoin. That's what, that's what we mean when we say wild, wild west, where there's a very good chance that even if Bitcoin or your cryptocurrency goes up in value, there is a, high chance that you'll never actually get a cash on it because either you can't cash on it it's going to just go away or it's going to get stolen
1: yeah yeah i would put this right next to my startup investments i would put this as generally the same risk i'd put this generally as the same allocation of my portfolio and i'm sitting tight i got you know i have basically one you know somewhere around like one percent or something in and um, but i am paying a, a lot of attention now to these icos because i think there's that's obviously gone absolutely insane, and we got we're gonna have to do an episode dedicated to ICOs. But I think some of those are pretty interesting because there actually is some intrinsic value to them if they're if they're actually used as credits yeah. uh, for an application or or a product. I think that's that's pretty interesting.
0: Definitely, some of them do have use cases, but I've actually seen a lot now that just like I was watching one last night about the La Token, the La Token, and <laughs> they basically were just throwing out. Like fancy words. It was, it was actually pretty hilarious to watch. It was, they're, you know, they basically said science, DNA, you know, blockchain. Here's how you create an online, like pawn shop with the token. And I have a feeling I actually, I would be willing to bet money that a big, big majority of ICOs out there are either just complete ripoffs you know not based yeah. on anything. Oh, God. So be careful guys if you do invest in ICOs, but said, you know, uh, saying all of that the, for the last, you know, 10 minutes, I bought myself some more Bitcoin and Ethereum because as much as I think it's stupid to put all of your money in crypto, I actually think it's stupid not to put any in there because there is a huge chance that this is it, it like that this is like Investing, you know, when the internet first came out and, you know, the early nineties or whatever it is, it is a huge gamble. But if you have extra income that you don't mind, you know, potentially losing and, and you want to jump in, I mean, just kind of throwing it out there. I think it's almost silly for everyone in the world not to own, let's say one Bitcoin, you know, which isn't a huge gamble, but at the same time, that one Bitcoin might be worth a lot. Someday, especially because, you know, as even said, there's less than 21 million out there ever.
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think this is a this is a a great a great type of application to learn. And cryptocurrencies and this type of stuff is going to be a big, big part of the future, just like the Internet is now a part of the future. And if you were late to learning the Internet, then you probably missed a lot of opportunities, right? So, I would definitely recommend everyone, if you're whether you're 75 years old or 16 and you're looking at this stuff, learn about this stuff, read about this stuff. If you have a little bit of money, invest in this stuff because you don't have to buy one Bitcoin. You can buy like a fraction of it, right? Johnny, you can buy like $10 or $20 or something.
0: Yeah. So, actually, here's the thing about Bitcoin the reason why I actually decided to buy some is even though there's all these kind of pros and cons, and I, you know, you hear it, you know, it could be potentially be a bubble the one reason why I kind of have faith in all this is because even if you wanted to buy a bunch of Bitcoin, it's actually very hard. (laughs) Like I I went Mm -hmm. on Coinbase and my maximum buy limit is something like $500. And like, they just don't let me buy more than that until you've established like a history with them. You have to upload Mm -hmm. all these documents. You have to, you know, hold it for a few months. So even though, it's, it's, it's tempting to, you know, to say, and it's easy to say, oh, everybody's talking about Bitcoin. So it must be a bubble. The fact is most people actually can't even buy that much Bitcoin because mm. of all these rules. So uh, my advice is at least make an account, you know, even if you're not going to buy any, just make an account. Cause I think it's going to get harder and harder to make accounts in the future with more regulations. And you'll quickly see that your first buy may only be for like $50 until you upload your IDs. You know, and then even then you might only be able to buy 500 dollars worth
1: so John you said you bought ethereum that means you bought ether right
0: yeah and, and that's confusing I'm glad uh, <laughs> that, really, yeah, that is confusing that is confusing yeah so actually I'm curious do you ha- do you own
1: any ether I do not no I'm a classic call me traditional I'm, I'm a
0: Bitcoin guy so the reason why I decided to buy some some ether and and it's not a ton about a thousand dollars worth is because right now it's at about three hundred dollars. And because, you know, it is being kind of everything is being built on the back of Ethereum right now, I have a feeling that even though there's a chance of it, you know, let's say going down by fifty percent or even going down by a hundred percent and me losing the thousand dollars, there's also a chance that it can go up by, you know, a hundred you know, a hundred a hundred percent or a thousand percent or even ten thousand mm-hmm. percent because First off, $300 is a pretty low price point compared to $4,000 right. for Bitcoin, but also because there's so many use cases.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if Ethereum does good. It was really funny. I, I emailed my buddy who worked at Barclays in 2011. I said, hey, are you guys talking about this Bitcoin stuff at all? I'm thinking about buying some. Do you, guys, you know, do you guys have any perspectives on us? And he never emailed me back. And he just emailed me back last week from that same email thread in 2011 and he goes, <laughs> in typical in typical Barclays fashion, uh, just getting around to this email. Looks like I'm a little bit late on it. <laughs> Thanks for your <laughs> suggestion. Just making a joke, but he actually just got into Bitcoin. So when I wrote him, it was like what, probably a hundred or less, and now it's it's close to five thousand. So pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, that's insane. So uh, let, let's let's keep tabs on this. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about this a lot more because. This is definitely another asset class that is, you know, really like by definition the most modern asset class out there for investments.
1: Absolutely. If you guys have any suggestions on Mm -hmm. topics that you want on cryptocurrencies or experts that are in the field that you think would be interesting to have on the show, or you have an interesting story of yourself, please write us or join the Boss Lounge and share it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, And I know there's going to be a lot of discussion about it. So, Go ahead, start a thread in the Boss Lounge. If you guys haven't joined yet, just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus, and you'll get instructions on how to join there. Also, thank you for everyone who's been leaving these great five-star reviews of the podcast. You guys are the reasons why we can get these top YouTubers like PewDiePie even on the show. (laughs) And we'll see you guys all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Lagger like Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlaggerboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed
1: this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.